God did not intend for everybody. You're equal in the kingdom, but God did not intend for everybody to have the same amount of money. That's communism and socialism, and we know that neither one of them work. Man has been trying to institute them humanistic doctrines since the beginning, without realizing that God. The, the whole thing behind this is pulling God down to where we are. God sits enthroned in majesty, and He tells us what He wants, and that's the way it's supposed to function. So,、uh, children should obey their parents because if they don't obey their parents, they're not going to obey the people above their parents. It'll go all the way back up the line. And at some point, if they don't obey their parents and they get out in the world on their own, there's a price to pay for that because. The, har- the harder it is to obey on a family level, it's going to be doubly harder when you get out in society and you never had any discipline in your life. See, one thing about the scripture: children obey your parents. God wants us to be disciplined in our lives, and He wants our children to be disciplined. And so, however God's told you to、uh, administer discipline in your house is very important. It's actually protection. Uh, in schools, how many teachers we got in here? Ruth, I know Ruth was. Anybody else? It's hard to it's hard to discipline children anymore, isn't it? Ask Ruth. She was a teacher for how many? <laughs> Just couldn't do it anymore, could you? It's taken out of your hands, and it's put in the hands of people that supposedly know better than you do how to take care of kids. So you can't. You got to be real careful how you discipline anybody, and what it is effectively is humanistic doctrine that breaks down.、Uh, what's that? Hey, teacher, leave those kids alone. <laughs> Everybody remembers that. Well, that's just a breakdown of authority, and so I think we're seeing in、uh, the results of some of this in our lives today, where children sometimes run the family. Anybody ever witness that? All the time.、Uh, I remember now. I'm, I know I'm getting older, and I'm almost seventy. But I remember when、uh, you were told to do something, you did it, and that was the end of the story. And、uh, now, nowadays, the question "why" is answered ask a lot. But back in in my day, you never said "why," because when you said "why," there was a "why" behind it, like that. <laughs> It's a breakdown of authorities, what it is, but and and I'm sure that they had the same problem in the Ephesian church. Remember, they're coming from darkness into light, and so everybody needed to be taught how to behave. That's what it was all about. Well, we've got to realize that the authority is taken away from us because now children can go and report if they feel that their parents are mistreating them in any way. So I mean, it's getting to the point, you know. You better not touch me because I'll go tell the authorities. Well, we had a member of our family, distant family, and every time you would try to correct them, they would say,、well, "I'm going to go talk to the counselor." Well, that's not the way to get things done,、mm-hmm. and it's it's a breakdown in the home to start with, and then it works its way all the way back up the chain. Because Dad's saying to Mom, "Can't you do something with those kids?" And Mom's saying to Dad, "Can't you do something with them brats?" And away we go, and it goes right on back up the chain. We have to realize you don't spank your kids anymore either. And the Bible teaches us that you know it tells us talks about it in Ephesians. You know, what spanking them? Spare the rod. Well, that's in、uh, Proverbs, <laughs> now we right? Now we can't do that、yeah. anymore.、So. Well, 
my kids all come out pretty good, and I didn't spare the rod. Now, you can think of me what you want, but I did not spare the rod because I had three boys in the house that were all teenagers at the same time. Anybody else been through that? Three teenage boys in the house at the same time? It can get real rambunctious at times. And there's times where we we got physical, you know what I'm saying? Because when you've got three sons that are bigger than you, there comes one point where the crossover takes place and you know that you just can't whip them no more. But up until that point, you keep charge, okay? So uh, Paul says here, honor your father and mother, for that is the first commandment with a promise attached to it. And Darlene said, the promise is if you obey your parents, you'll live a long life. If you don't obey your parents, you won't obey society. And when you don't obey society, the institution of society or in the church, then you're going to end up shipwrecked somewhere. And God doesn't intend for it to be that way. I love another example of... You know, it's when Jeremy was teaching, you know, like the young ladies in the house, uh, you know, they are under really the father's authority until they are married and turned over. And that is as far as their purity as well. Bill Gothard does a real good teaching on uh-huh. that as well, you know, about what the young ladies trying to... <laughs> I know we live in a different society today, but... Well, when we do marriages here, uh, you found that one scripture from one of the Gothard things where you ask the man if he's taking the initiative in this yeah. union. And that, that's a question that's very seldom asked in a wedding. And, and now when we perform ceremonies, we ask the man, are you taking the initiative in this here? You know, because he needs to know from the start. That he's take, and when the bride comes up the aisle and she's standing there before God and the altar and everything else, and then he's up there with me or whatever, it's his job to go down and get her because, see, that's a good teaching from the very start. Are you willing to do this? Are you willing to receive her as your wife? Yes. Well, then the father's standing there or the mother in that case, and they give over the hand or whatever else. So what is taking place there is a passing of authorities taking place. Okay, when when Jeremy's girls get married, him and Catherine will, uh, if I'm around or Jeremy will probably marry his own daughters, that'd be a good thing. But well, okay, (laughs) I'd be privileged. But the thing is, is that there's a passing of that authority. And if you're not in agreement with that, then there shouldn't be. That's a mess is what it is. So when he gets to that point, all the way up the line, he's passing the authority. He gives the authority to the young man. The young man takes his vows in front of the congregation. And then you have communion, Lord's Supper. And it's all back up the line, teaching authority at every step. Okay? That's the way God set it up. Marriage is, uh, well, he talks all about marriage in Romans. But uh, verse 3, what's the promise? That you... uh, May things will be well with you and you'll live long in the earth. Amen. Now, here's the responsibility for the men again. And you fathers provoke not your children. Everybody understand what that means, right? Uh, And again, if you're living in a godly household and the man is in subjection... It says, don't, uh, the New Living says, don't make your, 
your children angry by the way you treat them. Uh, kids should be treated with respect. Amen. And they should be able to get, give their opinion. But the final opinion belongs yeah. to dad and mom in that way. Okay. Um, there's many ways that a father or mother could provoke, could provoke their children by being unfair, by being partial to one child over the next and different things. And that's an admonition to the father there. It says, don't provoke your kids to bad behavior. So I know none of you guys have ever been involved in that, right? Mm-hmm. I never was. Yeah. Uh, well, your kids always play. If you have more than one child, you know, you'll find that they play each other against, you know. <laughs> you ever had that in your household? Uh, yeah, we've had that yes. quite a few times. So. You know, kids are like water. They'll always take the path of least resistance. And what they'll do is if there's a confrontation, you know what I used to hear? I didn't have a father in the home, but I know a lot of parents would say, well, you wait till your dad gets home. You just wait till your dad gets home. And then dad would get home and he wouldn't do nothing. And uh, especially with girls, it's easy to butter up dad sometimes if you're a girl. But uh, kids are like water. They'll find their way through to what they want. That's another thing I do in counseling for people that are going to get married is don't ever use kids as a weapon against each other because you'll fail every time. Because kids will sense that. They'll know who to play. Oh, yeah, they'll play you like a fiddle is what they'll do. Yeah. And then you got sibling rivalry going on. Where How many of you ever heard your kids say, well, you like them better than you like me? And you can assure them a hundred thousand times about, no, we love you all equally, but they don't see it that way. So it comes down to the end that children obey your parents that you might have long life. Because if you don't quit arguing. (laughs) And then another thing I think that parents always say is, well, when you grow up and get married, I hope you have a kid. Just Just like like you. How many times have we heard that? (laughs) I remember when I had uh, three three teenagers in the house and we were pastoring another church and uh, we would be gone quite a bit and uh, I would come home and uh, our bed would be broken laying all over the floor. And I said, what happened here? Oh, we were doing WWE or WWF. They were wrestling and throwing each other on the bed. And what they tried to do, the little boogers, they went out and they found some bricks and put it up underneath the bed and hoping we wouldn't notice. Well, the first time I sat down on it, there it goes. So the bed's on. What else? Oh, and Darlene had an antique table and chairs, and they were WWFing on that, and they broke the legs off of that thing. It's about 100 years old. And I said, what are you guys doing? Well, the good thing about my kids, they wouldn't rat each other out. But that made it easier for me to discipline them. See, because... I would just, we had an old uh, uh, claw tub. tub. Anybody know an old claw tub, uh, brass tub or whatever? And that's what they used to bathe in. And so I would take all three of them in there, Chris, Tony, and Matt, and I would line them all up, and I'd get the belt. And they they each reacted in a different way, but they each got the, uh, for instance, Chris would take it like a man. He's the oldest. He'd take it like a man. And then Matt, who's the biggest and the strongest, He'd hop all over the bathroom like a little baby. And then, and then Tony, he'd look at me and say, is that all you got? 
And he's got three boys. And, and God has blessed him. God has blessed him with three boys that are just like him. But parents have to be in charge of the home, okay? They have to be in charge of the home. And it hurts a kid when they think you're not... Listen, when I was growing up and I didn't have a father, I would have appreciated that discipline, I think, of having a dad in the home. People that come from broken homes, especially men sometimes, feel a rejection and they have trouble dealing. That's why we have a lot of kids in our society that don't know how to be men because there's no men in the homes. The importance. Well, and that's why, you know, it's so hard to understand a father's love, the heavenly father's love, is because they don't have parents in the home. Right. We have so many, you know, that's the, the enemy's plan, we know that, you know, is to disrupt and destroy the home atmosphere so that you only have one parent in the home today. You know, so, right. you know, they're missing the relationship, which he talked about in his Ephesians there, of of how Christ is the head of the home, you know, and the wife and the children. He has his divine order, like you said. And when we do that, it's a beautiful uh, picture of Christ in the church mm-hmm. and the bride. You know, but but so many of these kids today, they don't understand the father's love or mother's love because they don't experience it in the home. Amen. Well, so there's a gap in, in obedience that starts out yeah. when they're young. All right, let's go on. Um, provoke not your children to wrath, verse 4, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, which is a tough thing to do. Um, even in that, there's a fine line that you walk because you don't want to turn kids against church. But also, you need discipline in the churches. Yeah. And if they're not taught discipline, then uh, sometimes we, we see that reflected all around us. Um, verse 6, servants, or verse 5, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. Now, the King James there says servants. Some translations, uh, translations say slaves. And there was, that was part of the scripture that allowed men for thousands of years to maintain slaves. And these were Christian people that kept slaves. Because the Romans were some of the biggest. Uh, the Egyptians had slaves. Of course, they had the children of Israel. Um, and, and a lot of people for thousands of years justified slavery by what is said in this book here. Because in some places it says servants. In other places it says slaves. So good Christian, God-fearing. That's one thing about our civil war. Both sides called for God's grace. And... and committed their cause unto God because they both believed that they were doing right. So how far do we take it? It took like 1,800 years for people to realize that slavery wasn't a good thing. And then in this country, how many of you ever seen the movie Amazing Grace? Where Wilberforce fought against slavery in England and, and things like that and it took him all those years to get it through. But Slavery has been a part of history. But then again, you have to go back to the spirit, the Holy Spirit that hovers over what the word is saying. One translation says servants. The other one says slaves. Remember, and here's something. 
that I don't know if everybody knows it. I didn't know it until just a while ago. How many of you have read the book of Philemon? Who was Philemon? He, yeah, he was a slave owner. And his slave's name was Onesimus. How many of you knew that? I didn't know it until just the other day. He had a slave. His name was Onesimus. So from my understanding, what I read, there were quite a few people that came to a knowledge of Christ and were still slaveholders. Because that was the way of life then. They were under Roman rule and they might have had some ends with the Roman government or whatever, but they were slaveholders. So Paul, the teaching that he's doing here is consistent with what he's saying to husbands and wives. He just took slavery as a fact of life because that's what it was then. It's a fact of life. And so it's interesting uh, uh, that Paul, he neither condemned slavery or he condoned slavery. So for all those years, people got to set up their own belief system in slavery and, and what's going on there. So especially, yeah, go ahead. They didn't have Walmart. They didn't have employment. Right. You know, servitude. If you did, if you weren't a landowner, you right. didn't have, you know, a certain amount of wealth. Then, you know, that's how you ate. You would put yourself in service to somebody. Right. And sharecropper. So when I see servant or slave like that to translate it into modern day version, I just think, you know, employers and employment. Uh-huh. employees, employers and employees. You know, that an employee. There's a lot of confusion about those two words. But as Jeremy mentioned, in Hebrew law, you could maintain like an indentured servant or whatever because they owed a debt or, a, or something like that. But so our form of slavery that we experienced that our country went through was, was just a completely different kind than what they're talking about there because kings had servants all over England they had servants people were servants that's the way it was but uh, so they're coming into the church they're learning how to be Christians Philemon, Philemon and Onesimus and he said look I want you to treat him right treat him the right way because you didn't know but now you know and until Onesimus is free this is how I want you to treat him and Onesimus, this is how you are to treat your owner, Philemon. So look what he says to him here. He says, servants or slaves, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. What does that mean? According to the flesh? Well, he, he was a slave. Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. But in the spirit, they're, they're equal. Mm-hmm. So when he says here... Um, According to the flesh, Onesimus still belonged to Philemon. But in the spirit, that standing no longer matters, see? Yes? Uh, I would like to recommend that uh, if somebody has a chance to ask a Jewish rabbi about the relationship between Abraham and Eleazar, because it's quite a revealing thing about the way things were between masters and slaves. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand Eleazar uh, was bought by Abraham, but because of his faithfulness, 
he became Abraham's business manager. Mm -hmm. Abraham trusted him. And at one point, if Abraham had not have, had, had a son, Eliezer would have been the heir of his estate. So that's quite a different thing when right. you think of it slavery. Right. Well, Joseph kind of was in the same situation too because, you know, his brothers kind of wanted to get rid of him. And, but God had a strategic plan there by sending him down to Egypt. And uh, he worked his way up. But in effect, he was a servant, a slave. And so... Um, again, remember that these people are learning how to behave. This Christian world that fell on them, or they accepted and became a part of, they didn't know, well, what do I do with my slaves? That's a typical question, right? That's just like questions that you would ask in the church here. Well, what do we do about this? And what do we do about that? So Paul's basically answering them and saying, this is the way I want you to treat each other. But he didn't condemn it, and he didn't condone it. Because at that time, it was just a way of life. Which brings me to my next question. How much modern ways of life should we give leeway to when we stick to the scriptures? How, how much latitude do we have? Because I, I believe that once we get into the scripture and we start saying, well, that's not really what it says or that's not really what it means, that we develop a problem. And it, it gets into apostasy. So uh, one of the things that I would recommend is uh, where the Bible says, study to show yourself approved, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. Because if you study, you, you'll understand what is being said there. Just like people, well, I can keep slaves because, see, it says it right there. See, it says it right there. And they don't even bother to know that that was what society existed on back then. So, and... Then the Spirit of God reveals to Wilberforce, Lincoln, people like that, that this is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. It was the same Bible, but the Holy Spirit enlightened it, and then here we are today. You know, that's a change that had to be made, right? I mean, come on. Look at it from this end of it. Look at it from this side of it if it hadn't happened. How would you feel today continuing that tradition. Wouldn't that be something? Could anybody sitting in here right now actually think of it? You know, I'd like to have a few slaves or whatever. Yeah. Think about that for a minute. From this end of it, it looks like a horrible thing. Mm -hmm. But back then, it was cutting across society. The plantations in the South were all slave labor. I mean, it was just a horrible thing. Yeah, uh, Carolyn. Well, I was just saying, like Jeremy said, I, I think that what, what we call slavery back in those in Bible times was totally Right. With the slavery, and you know, as time went on, because the slave, they, they took care of them, and there were families like even today in Egypt and in some of the Middle Eastern countries, they have the the wealthy have families that they that they have had for generations in their family that serve them, uh -huh. servants, but they take care of them, they see all their needs, they educate their children, and they wouldn't have it any other way. You know, I know there's exceptions to every, everything. Right, right. There would maybe be people that would not be kind, but I don't think they would even some of the servants would know what to do or how to live <coughs> life without being involved with the person, the family that they've been with all that time. Exactly. As a matter of fact, let me look here real quick. I want to read this. This is the one new man, and it talks about it here, a servant. Okay. He talks all about the bond servant. So... 
and he goes on to explain. Hold on a second. Well, you want to read a little bit of that while I'm finding well, what you, I'm... You can read it. I'm looking uh, for something else. But I don't know. know how much of it you want to... Well, okay. I just marked it where it All right. talks about... Let me find this real quick because... Because a bond servant is how we are in Christ. That's how we're referred to when we become Christians. Right. We are, not, we are a bond servant to Christ, and that's how these servants were. Well, Paul called himself a slave. Yeah. So a but that was, see, that's a completely different context. He called himself a slave to Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Hold on just one second. I, had to, I don't want this thought to get away because okay. once it gets lost up here, I never find it again. Hold on just one second. If, there it is. Okay. Okay, in, in Philemon, I want to read this real quick. He, Onesimus was the slave of Philemon. They're all just going into the church together, figuring out how to do things. Onesimus went to, Onesimus went to church with <coughs> Philemon. Bless you. And then he said, uh, uh, Paul writing to Philemon says, I beseech you therefore, my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. In other words, he was a slave, but he received the same word that Philemon had. And he said, which in times past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. So because of his understanding of authority, and he heard the word, and he was an unprofitable person, but then he became profitable to the gospel, which is confirmed in uh, uh, verse 12, where he says, whom I have sent again... Therefore receive him that is mine own bowels, whom I have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. So we see this man who was a slave, because of the conversion of everybody, being raised up to a place where he was actually one that preached the gospel. And he was important to Paul. Everybody get that? So that shows you... Hold on. Where is it right here? Yes, it says sermon. Okay, it says here, in the New Testament is a correct translation of, uh, let's see, uh, a bond servant who worked only as a household servant, a maid, cook, nurse, butler, or some similar job. A bond servant is a person who has been purchased for a specific time or job in the late 1800s, it was common for people in Europe to agree to work for a U.S. company for a specified time in payment for their passage to the U.S. A believer is to be a bond servant for the Lord in the sense that we are obligated totally to him because our Redeemer purchased us with his blood. He is more than an employer because he has each of us under contract. The New Testament, the covenant. And it says here, this is different from slavery because we have a free will and can break the contract if we desire. And so that's that's a good word, the difference between a uh, servant and a slave. We are bond servants. And Paul even said he was a slave to the gospel. So, okay, let's go back to Ephesians again. Any questions so far? Comments? 
Yes, ma'am. Apostasy, that's a falling away. It means literally to fall away. And that's what happens when you don't have a knowledge of what the Scripture teaches. Because remember in Ephesians where he says, we don't uh, follow every wind that blows through and every uh, all the cunning devices of man. Uh, it's, apostasy comes from not knowing what you believe, not having a firm foundation. It'll be an apostate church in the last days. In other words, they turn from the truth and they turn into just apostates. <laughs> and, and didn't, didn't he say about the servant part? I'm not, I, I don't know how to say the whole scripture, if any, but I thought I had read at one point that it was important that Jesus said we must first learn, not first, this first everything, first learn to be a servant. Well, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, yeah. Right. Right. Well, well, you know why servanthood is important? Because if you're not a servant, then uh, you tend to sometimes be too strident, wanting to run everything all the time. And when that happens... Uh, there's a chance of apostasy there when you become bigger than God. See, when you don't learn how to serve, and these guys really knew, Onesimus knew how to serve, but there was a benefit there for him because then he was uh, counted worthy to bring the gospel, one of Paul's boys, okay? But he was still considered to be a slave. So he definitely knew how to serve, okay? That's why the scripture says, humble yourself under the hand of God and, and he'll exalt you. Go ahead. That word apostasy also, and a lot of literature written at the same time, including the Bible, also refers to dereliction of duty, yeah. which is really something to think about. Yep. Anybody that's been in the military knows what the dereliction of duty is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, Barry. And as far as slaves, weren't the slaves set free in the year of Jubilee? Yeah, that's another thing, yeah. Was that 50 years? 50. Every 50 years. Well, remember, too, life expectancy, in some cases, Methuselah and them, they live forever. But then after a while, uh, people didn't live all that long. But uh, I think Jubilee is a great idea. But our society would not tolerate Jubilee. Now, Darlene and I have tried that. Every Hebrew bond servant was released in the seventh year, and all bond servants were released in the Jubilee 50th year. Yeah. And in the 50th year, that year of Jubilee, uh, the land went back to the yep. original owner. Right. <coughs> made for it or whatever, if you're not the original owner. Sorry. You know, we tried that one year, the seven-year thing, where uh, every seventh year is a jubilee year, and we didn't plant. Right. My experience from that, how I know that it works, is because we're garden people, and we love to plant a garden every year, tomatoes and everything like that. And we took that to heart about every seventh year letting your land rest. And Darlene knows this to be true. 
We didn't plant a thing. Didn't plant one seed in the ground. And it, we had tomato plants that just sprung up out of nowhere. <laughs> and we didn't have anything to do with them. They, the seeds were in the ground, and we didn't have nothing to do with it. So God made sure that we got a harvest. And I think it was because we honored the land and didn't didn't plant to go. Anybody else have that happen? I did. Zach, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You'll see it in wheat fields, too. Wheat fields, yeah. they got to let the land rest. And that goes back, boy, there's a whole other subject there. The law of the of the Sabbath, yeah. you know, letting yeah. things rest. If God, well, God didn't need to rest, but I don't know. Maybe He did. Well, it says He rested. I know he, I keep Him busy, so. <laughs> there you go. That's why I needed to rest. <laughs> Whatever yeah. a piece of property is, they yeah. jam it all together. And if they don't fertilize and do some things uh, later on, you take all the nutrition out of the soil. All the nutrition, yeah. That's how we wound up with the dust. Mm-hmm. Actually, mm-hmm. So the land needs rest. It's all the Sabbath. Yeah. So, okay. Think about that. It's not the Sabbath. It's on the day. And the rest of the rest stops up here, and then the desert replant, replenishes it, the soil replenishes nutrients. And you said, you said, through past, past crops come out, there will, will be natural seeds, but then the board of those, before the harvest out, it might be the same deal you get, get every other year's plant, you still receive harvest. Uh-huh. Okay. All right, all kinds of things here tonight. <laughs> but, but that's good, though, okay? All right, we're back here. Where are we now? Um, he's talking to the servants or slaves, verse 6. Uh, well, no, verse 5, he says, uh, be obedient to them who are masters according to the flesh. Okay, remember, that's different than the spiritual. And, and Paul's going to speak to that in a minute. He said, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. In other words, do the work as unto the Lord. Okay, don't be a man, please. Do it as unto the Lord. Verse 6, not with eye service. I'm getting ahead of myself. As men pleasers, but as the servants of God, doing the will of God from the heart. Now, what's the will of God? Husbands, this is how you treat your wives. Wives, this is how you respect your husband. Children, obey your parents. Servants, be good servants. Okay? And he he said, if you realize God's structure, then you do the will of God from the heart. Okay? Okay? All right, everybody, everybody, get that now. We would stay out of so much trouble if we would just remember God's chain of command. Yes. Um, when I used to apply for leave, Jeremy knows this. The rest of you military people do too. You had to apply. First, you would take it to your immediate supervisor, and then he would take it to the chief, and then he'd take it to the department head, and and all the way up to the uh, what do they call him. Who's the second in command? XO. XO, yeah. And by the time, you know, you had to run it through the people. And you couldn't do it the other way. I mean, you don't just go say, well, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm going to the XO. And I'm going to say, I need liberty. I need leave here. Well, the first thing they're going to do is kick you back. And you're never going to go anywhere because you didn't follow the chain of command. Okay, so that's all God's law is. And that's what... That's where the chain of command come from. It's set up on spiritual principles. 
because they work. Pastor Chief would have you in the galley for months if he did that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. Well, there's protection, too, when you are under your, uh, you know, chain of command. Right. You are. When you stay in God's yeah. way, there's protection afforded. That's why it says, husbands love your wives as God loves, Christ loves the church. What is our protection? What's the church's protection? The head, which is Christ. Okay? Then he says, okay, man, love your wife as I do. Passing it on down. And then he says, okay, kids, obey your parents, love your parents as I do. Pass it on down. Okay? All right. Here we go. It says... Uh, in singleness of heart, not with eye service. Or, okay, doing the uh, the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. How many of you had something that you had to do that you really didn't like? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see. And how many times did you quote to yourself, "Do it unto the Lord, do it unto the Lord." Or you have some smart aleck come around here, you're grumbling and say, do it under the Lord, do it under the Lord. <laughs> Anybody ever heard that before? And you want to just twist your ears off and say, honey, just do it under the Lord. But that's what the scripture says. This book just takes me back to being a new Christian is what it does. Okay. Uh, knowing, verse 8, that whatsoever good thing any man does, the same shall he receive of the Lord. Where's, what's the scripture that goes along with that? Anybody know? He will reap. Yeah. Amen. Knowing notes, whatsoever he doeth, the same shall be received of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Okay, so there we're back to the comparison again of the servants and the free man. But the key was, were they doing it as unto the Lord? Okay, there can be people that are, that are bond servants that are more faithful to the ways of God than the Christian man. Okay, but the principle is what works as you do the service unto God, whether you're bond or free. Okay. And, you know, there's another example, too, of, of being like a bond servant. You know, and I've read several accounts where these, they go in to serve and they might be young and they might this be a couple that never had children and they take this servant who treats them like, a, you know, father or mother and, you know, I've even seen that happen where they, yeah. he becomes their heir. Yeah. So, there. Yeah. Yeah. Air. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, aren't we all? Yeah. But I mean, you know, that's that can happen too. Yeah. And does that does that uh, child receive the same rights? Yeah. By being grafted into that family. Yeah. Same rights. Yeah. And when Jesus taught that, they understood what he meant. Yeah. 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 I think of the kids at the orphanage sometimes, and what they've been through in their lives, and. Uh, you know, God looks out for everybody. Verse 9, and you masters. Now here's, he's back to the, the owners, the slaveholders or the, the kings and their servants. And you masters do the same things unto them. In other words, he's 
turning it right around and saying, okay, slaves, this is how you behave, servants. And then he comes right back to the masters, and, and what he's saying in effect is, this is what you'll get if you do this. Okay? No one's going to be put in, uh, you were talking about the people that were put in charge of things when they were once slaves. Well, that's not going to happen unless they obey their masters. But their masters have to treat them with equity or they have no incentive. That's when they, i got to get going. And you masters do the same thing, forbearing, threatening. Oh, boy. Boy, Paul knew all about that. Because when he was going to Damascus to round up a bunch of Christians, it says he was breathing out threatenings and things like that. He was going after the people. So God sure turned his threatening around. Knowing that your master also is in heaven. And here's where he ties all what he's been saying since um, chapter 5, verse 22, where he starts, uh, verse 21, where he says, Submitting yourselves one another in the fear of God. And then he ends up here in verse 9. And you masters do the same thing unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. So you see how all this, these 30-some verses tie together. It goes down, it goes up. That's how, that's how it works. It's not a pyramid scheme or anything like that. But if goodness and benevolence starts at the top, then it will come down and it will work its way back up. Okay? That's how God sets up his plan. We receive, we give out. Or he blesses us with things that we don't deserve. But then we learn how to be blessed with that. And so it's just magnificent God's way of doing things. And if we get out of, you know, another example of that. Remember the ten blind that were, that were healed and uh, only one came back? He's the one that got it. He understood this principle. And it didn't say he was a big Christian this or Christian that. I don't know. I don't even think he was. But there was ten blind people. And Jesus even looked at him and he said, wasn't there ten? Where's the other nine? You see, they missed the principle of going back up the ladder is what they did. Because they believed that God, that Jesus could heal them, which puts him at the top of the authority chain. Because they would say, you, you know, I know you can do this. I know you can do it. But after he did it, the, the, the respect or the recognition of who did it needs to flow back up. That's why praise and worship is so important. Because when God does something for us, that respect and thankfulness needs to be lifted back up to him. I can't emphasize that enough. I mean, he's just not a genie that does stuff for us and expects no thanks. And that's why Jesus said, wasn't there... How come only one came back to acknowledge, yeah, I healed you, but the other nine have completely missed the point here because they got healed, and what was more important to them, I think, was getting healed, which is a big deal if you're blind, but leopard, okay. I get confused sometimes too. But, But the bigger deal was not them being healed. The bigger deal was for them to understand who they were dealing with. And they 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 love their their. Uh, why do I call them blind people? That's right. I get goofed up every now and then. Tens and sevens goof me up. Yes.
The one good thing, uh, one really good thing about praise and worship is it, it makes us feel better too. By voicing our thankfulness to someone that did something, you know, it's not, you know, it goes down, it goes up, it comes down. And we're blessed with all spiritual blessings is what the scripture says. And sometimes we get that confused again. What's the difference between the flesh and what's the difference in the spirit? You know, you can worship in the flesh, which is not edification at all. It, it's just goofiness is what it is sometimes if, you, if you're in the flesh. But if you're in the spirit, everybody that can discern spirits knows what's going on. And there's just something good about saying thanks to somebody that does something for you, you know. Somebody, if somebody walked up to you tonight and handed you a hundred dollar bill, you wouldn't go, hmm, where's the other hundred? You wouldn't do that, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think we've all been guilty of that at times, but you know, when somebody's got a sore neck and you just, whether they're a believer or not, just say, can I pray with you? You know? It doesn't have to be, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people don't do it because they, they think their prayer is inadequate or, uh, I mean, the Lord's Prayer, which he said, pray in this manner, is a very short prayer. It doesn't go on for pages. You know, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive me this day. My, or give me this day my daily bread. Forgive my trespasses. I forgive those trespasses against me. And lead me not. And that's another translation that we need to. That's what the King James says, but. It's another transition. It means the same thing. Isn't there a scripture that says that God is, is not impressed by your many words? Right. Yeah. Sometimes people can just go, oh, Yeah. Yeah, especially before meals. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you ever been with anybody and you go to, you go in a restaurant and you, and you just know, you just know. You might be new to the group and you'll say, well, well, could you pray? There goes the chair. Oh, God, I thank you. I'm not like the rest of these sinners here in this place. And I don't think that prayer works a whole lot. So, and you know, how many, what's this thing when you're texting or something, you get 150, uh, huh? Yeah, you got a limit on your phone. What's that? They call it uh, in and 150 letters or less? Characters. Uh, characters, characters. Well, we ought to have a rule when people pray for before dinner or something that they get 20 characters. 20 only. Huh? Five characters. Thank you, thank, thank you, Lord, for... No, we need a couple more. You can't get it done. Thank you, Jesus. There you go, three. Well, anyhow, back to the flesh and the spirit. In the spirit, God is no respecter of persons. Okay? But in daily life, there is order. That's why he said, you know this man in the flesh. Okay? You're a good servant according to the things of the flesh. But now that you're a spiritual man also and just not a fleshly man, now God is turning you into a... You're still a servant, but you're on a whole different level here because now... You're serving in the kingdom. Everybody see that? Yes. That's why it's important to obey those that have authority over you. And those that are under authority need to submit to that authority so it can be exercised in the proper way. Amen? Mm -hmm. Anybody learn anything tonight? 
We'll find out. No, I'm just you giving us a test. <laughs> yeah, at the end of it. All right, let's see here. See if I got all my notes. Oh, another thing to remember that I forgot. If you notice, um, another thing about culture then uh, is women, children, and slaves did not have any rights back then. No kidding. No rights whatsoever. Zero. So there's another reason why Paul is teaching husbands, you know, take care of them because they have no rights. You treat them like people that have no rights. And the same thing applies today. Now, women have rights today. They vote. How many hundreds of years did it take before a woman even had a right to vote? It's a long time. So, honestly, if we want to be uh, uh, real about it, we all have more rights, but we have more responsibility with those rights. Because if you lived back then, you were a woman, you were squashed from the word go. That's just the end of it. You had... Uh, Right. That's exactly right. Culture has made that to happen too. Yes. Now, is that is that the perfect way to do things? No. But that's what we got. And and sometimes when I said you know studying Ephesians, this takes me back to when I was first a Christian. I think there's a lot that we could approach in our lives like, oh, this is all new to me. I need to do this better here or something like that. Because we've all made mistakes in our interpretations. But uh, if you remember the Spirit in general over the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's all about mercy rather than judgment. And that's the bottom line. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Next week we're going to finish out And this will be a fun week next week because it talks about the armor of God. And then we'll finish that out. Thank you for your contributions. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, there's there's a light that comes when we discuss your word because it is light. And that light is the light of men. And Lord, we're so thankful that we have been removed from the darkness and placed under your glorious light. And Lord, where we step out of that blessing of the light, Holy Spirit, bring us back in alignment. Lord, we confess our sins tonight. We know that we've all sinned and come short of your glory. And Lord, we know that you're a great Savior, and I'm a great sinner. So Lord, I thank you for your gift to me that no one else could give. And we thank you for eternity in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.